all June and July, every single day, seven days a week. Uh, they would spray in the morning, it would rain for the rest of the day, clear up for an, an hour at 7 p.m., and then overcast again by 8 p.m., and then it would start raining all night again, constantly. And this year is a, a pretty well a repeat of last year. But that's what it repeats, it's clockwork. So the weather now is predictable. We hardly ever see the sun up where I am. This weekend was the first weekend I've seen it for the whole summer. Uh, the snow, when it melted around April, May, just sunk it in the ground and it couldn't even evaporate. It just puddles everywhere right up to the present because it's rained since then on. We'll be back with more after these messages. Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix, and he opened up tonight about the weather and how, where I live, uh, which is at the top of a particular jet stream, which really loops at the bottom around the Michigan area, uh, you'll find that when you go into the, the, the writings of Teller and others who worked for the Pentagon and the U.S. government, Teller, remember, was the inventor of the H-bomb. But he also came up with the idea of uh, altering the atmosphere for different military purposes a long, long time ago. And his papers are up there, the ones that have declassified are up there for the public to view. But he talked about using um, metallic particles primarily uh, seeded in the atmosphere, which would create a, a more, more electrified circuit for pulsations of ELF waves uh, from standing wave. Uh, technology. He said you could cover whole continents with this uh, uh, with this type of technology because the metallic particles are more conducive to electrical signals, almost like an antenna, if you like. And but he also mentioned too they could either heat the planet by different kinds of particles or cool it by using another type of particles. And I've mentioned so many times that we, at the bottom level, that the general population are never, ever, ever in on any real truth on anything. When we get a bit of a truth, it's always covered by some other excuse or reason or, or something like that. There's always deception involved. So we, we try and figure ourselves, things out for ourselves at the bottom. And all we have at the bottom is our own perception of events and things and our own memories. We have our memories and only by using memory and accepting, and this is the key to everything, is accepting your own personal perceptions of that which is around you. Can you come to any logical conclusions? The war primarily, remember, has been going on for an awful long time. There's always a war on the mind. And how you control masses of people uh, simultaneously, apart from giving them the same education, the same mass uh, of uh, newscasts, uh, information, etc. How you control them is, is by getting them to ignore their own perceptions and, and succumbing, bowing the knee, in other words, bowing the knee and, and succumbing to what you think are those who are more qualified to arrive at conclusions than you are yourself. I, I was just talking today about 
how people today, uh, most folk in the street will think about global warming. If you ask them, they'll tell you, well, I guess it's true. Uh, it's all over the media, has been. It doesn't matter what media you look at, or even nature programs, it's going to be in there somewhere. And there's, there's so much coming out from mainstream media, from politicians who are on board with this. Now, politicians, remember, uh, they have a different kind of job. They're, they're not scientists. They're, they're, number one, they're not scientists. Uh, they're, they're really middlemen, in a sense, along with the media. They, they are responsible for, for fooling the general population by, by, very, by, by, by giving you disinformation in a very plausible manner with a straight face and confidence. Confidence is a key to it. So much so that the general population will always, well, they must be right. They, must, they can't all be lying to us, all these guys with the suits and ties on. And I've mentioned today that the suits and ties really are the new priesthood of the modern society. No one's ever explained to me why, if you're told to go to court or a wedding, or there's only one official outfit you can wear, and it's a suit and, and a shirt with a tie on it. A tie is the most incredulous, the stupid thing ever invented. It has no purpose unless you've got an assailant that wants to strangle you easier or if you want to heat yourself to death on a really hot day, if you're lucky enough to have one. But we find that we ignore our own perceptions. And the more scientists we bring forward on board with an agenda, the more believable it becomes. The difference between... A, a small-time crook who's a purse-snatcher and a very, very good confidence trickster, trickster is that the purse-snatcher the comes up behind you and, and simply grabs something and runs off with it. And he generally is wearing the hood and all the rest of it. So he's recognizable to an extent and understandable to an extent by the general public. But a confidence trickster is a guy who meets you at uh, an airport and, and you walk out with your briefcase or your suitcase, and it says, excuse me, and he's dressed very well. He, he doesn't evade your eyes. He's, he doesn't, uh, he, he's very pleasant looking. He's not hostile looking. And he'll say in a very confident manner, excuse me, sir, that, that's mine. You picked up mine by mistake. And, and then he'll, he'll point out, see that little scrap, that's how I, I recognize it's mine. I, I picked up your one by mistake, and it's in, it's in with the security staff. You just go and ask for it. Can I? Can I take this off your hands now and get on my way? And most folk will doubt this themselves. They'll doubt themselves because of, of this, the, the gall, the brass, as they say, of, of a confidence trickster, and, and give it away. That's how confidence tricksters work. They get you to doubt your own logic, perceptions, and, and definitely your ability for self-preservation. That's the job of trained politicians. That's also why they recruit into politics so many psychopaths. Because psychopaths have that natural ability. They understand this instinctively, intuitively, how to manipulate other people with, with boldness. And they don't blink when they tell a lie. And they're very pleasant and confident when they approach you. That's how it works. The same people who are fooled and grab on to the climate change stuff and we've all got to sacrifice and we've got to give all our rights over to this new priesthood, the scientific dictatorship, you see, because they're going to try and save us. It's the same con game as the communism used when they took over the, the Russia or, say, Vietnam. 
I was told recently about a person in Vietnam when the, when the, when the communists came through uh, to a man's store in the country. He also owned two buses that ran blue areas. Uh, he was told that everything in that store, including the store, now belonged to the people. But he'd be allowed maybe to work the store on behalf of the people. But he personally now owned nothing. The people owned it all. His buses were now owned by the people. Now, the people couldn't just walk in there and take what they wanted because you have these self-appointed representatives of the people who use the people as a front for everything. You see? Now, that's easy to understand how that system works and how the simple psychology of the distortion, again, of perception by using terminology. But we get so confused when politicians... You know, the respectable ones, we, the ones we think are leg legitimate and legal, that's the key to it as well, tell us the most outrageous things and demand more and more tax money and another working service from the people for the good of the people. They are now the official representatives of the people. If any of these politicians put on a, a little wider hat and a black suit and a white tie and walked into your store, and said to you, to you as a store owner, I, I, I want protection money. And he said to you, if you said to them or asked them the question, protection from what? They'll say protection from us. Otherwise, we'll burn your place down or take it from you and kick you or kill you. You, you call that extortion. You see? But you get a politician on a television set saying we're upping the taxes for this reason, that reason, or that reason. Immediately, tax member means labor. You tax yourself, labor. The definition of slavery is when someone demands your free labor. Doesn't matter how they get it back. But money is simply a representation of the energy output that you put out for yourself, that's then taken from you. And when on television say we want taxes, what happens if you, if you can't pay them? You're kicked out of your home. It's the same thing. There's no difference whatsoever. Because all you have to worry about is a store owner is a mafia. And all you have to worry about is the, the store owner or the house owner in a democratic society. All you have to worry about is your government. Because if anything happens, you're going to kick you out of that house if you can't pay. Same thing. Perceptions. All to do with how you perceive things. And you can train people perceive things in a distorted fashion those same people who are fooled millions of people who are fooled by the global warming and all the scientists they all belong to the same associations who, who all get paid by grants and who have no money if there's no global warming or simply a priesthood those same people who, who believe them if you mention Catholicism or Christianity, will laugh at, in your face and say, oh, Matt, that con was used in the Middle Ages right up to into the early 20th century when priests had to convince you to believe what they told you to believe. And the only way that they, they could be saved from anything was through that same priesthood. They can't see the same con is being used today. The exact same con is used today under the guise but this is science. Just change the terminology. The expert on, on religion was a guy with a black outfit on. He'd been verified.
qualified officially to be a priest by the Vatican, the top honcho in times gone by. He had to be legitimate. He knew things you'd never know. He was had been closer to God in heaven than you had ever dreamed of. But he would tell you what you had to believe. He would get you to doubt your own sanity, your own rationale, your own experience in life. And then he'd tell you, once you were completely broken and scared and shaking, how he could save you. And the same thing's happening today. Why change the technique if it's worked before? Back with more after these messages. Man being an animal 
we're trained to do and believe anything. And Lenin himself said it, there are, there are a thousand directions and ways, paths that society could go. But the public must be, mustn't be allowed to think that way. They must think that the one they're born into is the only natural one there is, simply because it exists when they're born. It's like money. Money itself is, is simply a, the first big con game. First big con game. And it was never intended to last forever as it was. It's changed many. We know that different civilizations had different things for, for, for exchange, from seashells to porcupine quills to, to the standardization process. And that's what money, coined money, brought in with standardization. And as standardization goes on, it means uh, uh, there's a more powerful, small elite getting more powerful all the time in charge of that, you see. All competition is banned. And then once you, you have established yourself and you've got established intergenerational families, you can then control the next phase that's electronic blips on a screen. And then you go into the next phase of it, a new society where you don't work for yourself anymore. Technically, we don't do it now anyway. Everyone who pays taxes works for government. That's what a federal employee told me. Everybody works for government. The storekeepers work for government. Anyone who employs anyone works for government because they, they are given the job of taking the taxes and working out the paychecks and sending the cash on. And that's how it works in most countries. The average person in Europe doesn't have to really bother about income taxes because their employer is responsible for taking off your paychecks and sending in automatically. And you're born into a system where your parents did the same thing. They never questioned it, so you don't think to question it either. But as I say, the, the distortion or alteration of, of a, a word, just that little alteration alters your perception of it from, from extortion to taxes. And even tax means labor in the definition of, of, of slavery. It's where your labor is taken from you by force or threat of force. The new society is to be a world that serves the world state. And just like the communists who spoke on behalf of the people, the official ones who represented the people and told the people what to do, we have our new knights, you might call them, or, or barons of uh, the world enterprise, who have already decided and probably decided an awful long time ago, an awful long time ago, that when they deindustrialized the West, which they did know, and some of them signed agreements to industrialize, like Britain, at the end of World War II. They didn't tell the public till the European Union was uh, finalized and set up. But they knew they'd have to bring in a new type of economy. Now, what is economy? If you look back at any country, you're looking at a business. Countries are one, each country is a business with, as Huxley said, a dominant minority at the top. It's a business. Everybody works for government. Remember that. And businesses always have their long-term business plans. I'll be back with more on this after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Mrs. Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix. I'm trying to get people to actually think about things and how we take so much for granted simply because we've heard certain terms and seen the same things since we were small, uh, such as politicians coming on television and budget times especially, uh, just uh, seeing why they have to, for the common good. For, you see, for the good of the people, remember, they represent the people. And for the common good, uh, they have to put a tax on this, that, or the other, etc., there's no, really, no real difference in the techniques, as I say, that the communists used, where the officials said that we, we speak on behalf of the people, you see, for the common good. It's all the same trick that's used. And because we are social creatures, and we have all come from tribes at one point or another in the past, uh, we, we, we go along with this kind of chronology, as I call it, uh, instinctively. And those at the top who run the world and who have thousands of think tanks working on all aspects of society and all possible foreseeable problems with society as they go through what they've planned for the next 100, 200 years or whatever, uh, know the stuff instinctively. They're, they're taught the arts of mass psychology and how people perceive mainly as a collective society and how people think collectively and how people socialize collectively. Part of being collective, in a sense, and what we call social as we pass through our day, is bouncing off ideas that you've been told from the media to other people and they come back with the same opinions as you've been given. You think, well, we're all thinking this, so it must be true. Therefore, I am sane. And you, you also like to be accepted by your own, by your peer group. So you don't want to be different. The stuff is taught at the top uh, through classes, and they also use philosophers. I used to wonder why Arnold Toynbee was always pulled in to the big international social meetings on behalf of the World Socialists or Worker Society, and then the other one was the, the Fabian Society, and then why... Again, historians like Professor Carl Quigley were pulled in by the Council on Foreign Relations, the State Department, and so on. It's because they use history and how societies have been managed in the past. Because management runs on formula, and any formula, as Plato said, basically, that worked on the people in the past could be, could be brought back again, and the people will behave exactly the same way. Anything that the public has been made to do in past ages, regardless of cultures, or where they happen to have been born or lived or whatever, can be reintroduced again. This is known and understood. <clears throat> and there are definitely archives of this kind of information available to people who are chosen to, to have access to them, people who are well tried and tested for their ability to keep their mouth shut, basically, and to go along with things and, and allow themselves to be well rewarded in the process, I mentioned years ago that uh, a, pref a professor had um, told me that there are archives, real archives of real history, probably similar to the ones that Professor Carl Quigley talked about since he was brought into the Council on Foreign Relations headquarters to be the official historian. He was given access to all the blank spots in history, all the whys and who benefited and what was the real agenda for this or that or whatever. 
He was given access to that. These are archives of information. But a professor told me something similar. He says, yeah, he says, maybe one out of 80 professors will be pulled aside one day and given access to a certain archive or archives. Information, remember, knowledge is power. And what's more powerful than the ability to teach people how to rule millions of people, maybe even billions, tremendous powers, tremendous sciences. Bernays was not the only guy who understood mass psychology and is given the credit in psychological associations and schools and, and universities, given the credit for creating the American consumer culture. It was more than just consumerism. He was going along an agenda. He was the nephew of Freud, remember? Freud didn't uh, come up with this stuff. Bernays uh, joked about how he learned it. He says, well, I just picked apart some of my, my uncle's books on psychology. That's nonsense because Freud, Freud didn't go that deep into any of these subjects at all. And we go into the, the 1800s and you'll find articles written about crowd control, crowds, how the crowd worked, how their mentality worked. Uh, today they just call it the herd, officially it's called the herd. So these sciences are taught, proven sciences are taught to selected people uh, who front for those of the dominant minority in order to rule the people. And they use all of the techniques, but especially terminology. Terminology is so simple, really, isn't it? It's a natural thing. We communicate by use of words. And those who command the language uh, command the world. Uh, Orwell pretty well went into that to an extent with the use of the distortion of words, the alteration of words, and how complete perceptions were, were altered completely. Uh, uh, totally. Your, your perspective on something is completely altered by the use of different words. Let's say suddenly extortion doesn't become extortion, it becomes taxation uh, forced upon you by force if need be. Uh, you will still lose your home as the, as the mafia would take your home or your store from you, same thing. But the only difference is there's a representative doing it on behalf of the people for the good of all. I was thinking about all those folk who are losing their homes right now. Something at the top they foresaw, they knew what was going to happen a long time ago. They allowed these sham uh, second, third, fourth, fifth party mortgage companies to come in. They were given licenses to operate. And then the plug was pulled at the right time. It had to happen that way. And everyone can sympathize with them. The poor souls are losing their homes. And then they'll say, well, it's the economy. That's why they're losing their homes. No one stops to say, well, why are they losing their homes at all? Even the ones who've paid them up, there's a lot losing because they can't pay the taxes anymore. They've lost their jobs, but the homes are paid off. It's not the economy. It's the system. Because if you can't have a hut somewhere or a shed that you can call your own, regardless of financial collapse, economic or, or, or food depression, whatever it happens to be, plague or anything else, then you have no home at all. If someone can lean on you 
And that's what the mafia called it, to go lean on so-and-so. They haven't paid up yet. If anyone can lean on you, uh, then you don't own it. So you've been conned into thinking that you own it. How can it's double think? You either own something or you don't. If you own something, no one can steal it from you. Very simple. It's all how you look at something, you see. And how we're trained to look at things only through fairly recent custom. And it's the same with everything else out there. As I say, we're never told the real truth of anything at the bottom. We're told things as, as they become apparent to the public, like wars. Yeah, we started a war here, we're invading there. But you'll never know the real long-term geopolitical goals or strategy and the fact that it's part of a singular process. You get from here to there to there to there to there to there. Another instance of this I should bring up. I was thinking today about the the NATO think tank, the Department of Defense, that I've got on my archive section, the link for it, 90-page report on, this, on the future, what they see for the future. Now, they have the same characters uh, who are at the top of the Council on Foreign Relations think tanks working on this other think tank, too, the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's all the same people who work in all these top think tanks. And some of them can belong to the 10 think tanks. They're the specialists, you see. And they go through the next 30 to 50 years with riots, apparently, going to break out spontaneously across the Western world, and that was before the financial collapse. Or all this hype coming from the CFR about the coming food crisis. So we've got unemployment, financial collapse, food crisis. What did these guys know in the think tanks that we didn't know, and how did they know? They know because it's part of a plan, you see. And their job is to find out how the public will react and guess at all the, the kinds of reactions that different factions within the public uh, will, will do at that time and find ways to set up institutions to prevent them. It's like, it's like looking at a chessboard with all the pieces and saying, before you even pick up the first piece, where do I want to go here? What will my opponent do? How many opponents do I have? How do I counteract the possible reaction to this part of my move? This is all done before anything is revealed to the public or any action has been taken at all to start the process of the dialectic. That's what think tanks do. So here's the Department of Defense projecting these riots. Uh, it's so severe, they say, that they'll even have to use battlefield, battlefield neutron bombs on, on crowds and all kinds of non-lethal which is a joke, weaponry, because all these non-lethal stuff can be turned up to be very lethal. And we have to keep in mind, they even say this amazing thing, that eventually there'll be a world government coming out of this. But that won't be for long. It won't be forever. See, most people think there's always an end goal to something at the top. From a bottom perspective, that's how we see things. Because that's how we plan things. Well, I'll do this, this, and this. Maybe the time I retire... I'll have this little house over there and, 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 and a dog and uh, nice neighbors. And that's the end of it. Now you're just waiting to die. That's it. These people at the top plan the future intergenerationally. They know they won't be around. 
like John Maynard Keynes said, it says Bretton Woods Part 2 will come along in about 50 years. He says, but we won't, we won't see it. I won't see it, he says, but it will come. The next part of the, the financial plan, the agenda. That's how it works. That's what foundations do. They work intergenerationally, hiring, training, and, and uh, retiring, and hiring, training, and retiring. So we can start off with a particular direction, a mandate, become like a motto, you will so-and-so by the year so-and-so, and they, they can do it. They have unlimited financing. Why would a world government not last that long? Well, the object is, is legalism. We are the only species again. But when we hear something is legal and legitimate, we obey. To accomplish all the goals leading up to a brave new world, a much reduced population, where all the so-called useless eaters uh, are gone, where all the junk gene types are gone, um, you have to convince the public. But the only species you have to convince to go along with their own extinction. Well, they have to sterilize us because, you see, there's going to be too many, too many of us in a few years, and that will cause the food shortages, and blah, 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 blah. And they go along with, or to save the planet, you know. There's children now, there's even been articles in newspapers where, where young women have come along or out of school saying they, they don't mind being sterilized to, to save the world. The, the fewer the children, the better. We're the only species that needs to be conned. Animals don't do that. A, a dog will try, many dogs will snap at you if you try to remove their dinner from them while they're eating it. And you can try and persuade them as much as you want as for the good of all. It won't make any difference to that dog. He knows you're taking away his food. So, a world government would only last un un until it fulfilled its role by redistributing the wealth, which really means starving different countries selectively. Redistributing the food. Remember, the UN supposedly, ultimately, is supposed to distribute quotas of food to every region or block. And that's a, that's a new name for all that the groups were hyped into. And, of course, with the depopulation agenda, they'll say one day, well, we can't give you the same quota, uh, therefore uh, it's been a bad harvest worldwide, and you've got to reduce your population. It's up to you how you do it. And then our own um, psychopathic politicians will come in in the act and start convincing us as to why that must be. And people are going to suffer for, for the collective good that's going to be sacrificed. As they get driven around in their big limos and, and eat these incredible meals at all their functions, as for the common good. So perceptions are always distorted for a long-term agenda, a long-term plan. And once, of course, maybe I'll take a hundred years, who knows, maybe less, the world government's been here, they'll have reduced the population, they've mandated um, selective breeding, authorized breeding only, permits, etc. And once you have the manageable population, you can go on to the next part of the Department of Defense's projection, because after that will come what they call maybe a half a dozen super cities across the world. There will no, be no more countries. They, they won't need a United Nations to, to con the people as though there were some sort of philanthropic organization handing candy out to disenfranchised people in Africa. Because that was never their function.
won't need the United Nations. And they won't need countries. Countries have been used up until now for war, which goes to the creation of empires, bigger empires. Once you have a world empire, now it's a matter of, and and you've had the whole society working for generations on science, technology, which they all grab at the top and use. They've decided they no longer need all the people. Uh, A fixed system will suit them fine from then on. And once all the junk genes are gone, they can live in these big, big uh, dome cities. Very high-tech, they say. Very high-tech. Um, and I guess the barbarians are left. A few remaining barbarians around there and, and what used to be countries uh, will just die off over time. But they'll be, they'll be of no threat to these super high-tech, highly weaponized dome cities. They even say that there might even be warfare once in a while between these dome cities. So it's a never-ending story, this, this odd thing which they call progress. Progress. We, we say it, we repeat it, progress. Well, what is progress? Someone decides the way to go, obviously. If it to be acclaimed at the top, is it, going somewhere forward. Forward to what? It's like change is good. What, what kind of change are you talking about here? I mean, I like to know these things before I embark upon their enterprises. I'll be back with more after this break. through the matrix. I didn't mean to go on tonight. I had a, a few articles I was going to read, but uh, these ideas hit me uh, before shows. I don't prepare shows. And uh, I think it's important people realize some of the very well-established scientists, sciences that are used upon them all the time. Uh, just one last article, or one article here, before I go off, to show you how something's done by the Fabian technique of, of gradualism. If the public won't do something and you, you, you wanted to chip them all in the 1970s, how do you make them accept a chip? How do you make them accept a chip? Well, we see how it's been done. Uh, it's going to be the answer to everything. It's going to act like a drug, make you feel happy by, 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 get, by really buzzing out your endorphins, stuff like that. It's been all the science papers over years. You make them, you give them addictions to electronics, you see, that it's all fun, 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 and it's so convenient. Uh, um, you get them trained through cards to use for money. Then you go onto a chip and say, yeah, 30 years down the road, we could actually make them want the chip. And if you couple it with, with the social behavior, uh, generally to do with sexual behavior, because everyone goes through the hormonal rages, then uh, you've got a winner. Here's an article from Voltaire.net or voltairenet.org, I should say. It says the RFID implants for humans are hyped on Yahoo Tech. Yahoo's been pushing this stuff for a long time. It says it works for Fido, so why not you? The same RFID implants used to identify lost pets. See, that's how they got us used to the ID, the familiarization process, are now being adapted for use on you and me 
and not how one might have originally expected. As with all pioneering technologies, it's leisure pursuits that are getting the first stab at the tech. And this is an, an article that I read before a long time ago, but it's an update uh, on the Badger nightclub. Uh, it says, on one beach-orientated Barcelona nightclub, the Badger Beach Club is using the implants to free customers of the burdens of having to carry their purses or wallets. Makes sense. When you're spending the day in a bikini and flip-flops, where do you keep your ID? Instead, the bouncer just scans your arm with an RFID reader, and you're in. They've been using this now for the last, what, two, three years there. And here's the interesting part. It's not mentioned here, I think. The man who spearheads this organization, the Barcelona Nightclub, the Badger Beach Club, and so on, this, this chain, and in a previous article, which I read maybe a year ago, just happens to be an ex-NSA man at the top, National Security Agency. What a, what a happy for profession for him to choose when he, when he picks early retirement, isn't it? How fortunate for him that it's, it's in the same line that he happened to work in. How do you get people to voluntarily take a chip? See, you make the public want it. That's what you do. Getting back to the Soviet man, they said man's an animal and you can train him to believe or do or behave in any way you wish if you know the formula and how to present it to them. Incrementally, you can make them do anything at all. And even have bands going around where they can, a nurse will inject this into your skin. I've been doing it for a few years now. And of course these clubs have the most gorgeous young females there to track the guys in. Dancers and all that. Guaranteed you can't fail. Can't fail. And of course they'll also have gold, platinum, or platinum, gold, silver, bronze and so on accounts which are scanned into your little RFID chip to give it snob appeal. Snob appeal. Everyone will want to. That's how it's done. That's make them want it. Cull off the rest of the people, but please don't, don't cull off me. It's for the common good. That's how we're managed. Very simply. That's it for tonight from Hamish myself from Interior Canada where it's raining again. So good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.